Hello, everyone, and welcome to Butterflies and Bravery. I am Jemima and my co-host, Whisper, and we are continuing our interview with Deb, and we'll just pick up right where we left off. Well, I was just talking about that because someone posted this quote, when you're not used to being confident, right? Confidence feels like arrogance. And yes, what was the other thing I was saying? If you've been required to be passive, then assertiveness feels like aggression, right? right. So yes. all of these things, if you're not used to getting your needs met, then prioritizing yourself feels selfish. And right. that was the other one that it said. And that's like exactly the struggle of coming out of that place where all of these this stuff was required of you where like you were this servitude and this uh, submission Mm -hmm. your whole life and being able to stand up for yourself is probably the the most important step to healing and also the fucking hardest (laughs) it is the hardest like I'm not there I'm not there I'm still fucking uncomfortable when anyone gives me a compliment I still don't know how to take a compliment I'm like what do you say (laughs) I don't say anything I pretend it didn't happen (laughs) I know I do that too I did and people must think people must look at us and go what the fuck is wrong with you yeah you're a bitch you ungrateful bitch I I still struggle with that I'll be 60 next week it's been 40 years wait Since what not look it. oh my god you do not wow. look it <laughs> not at all we're almost 50 yeah <laughs> really? wow mm-hmm. yeah wow. you look amazing if somebody like at work i said that to somebody i said i'll be 60 next week and she goes oh my gosh you look great and i just looked at her like are you fucking with me or uh-huh. right right yeah. we so never funny. got positive strokes which Contrary to what the co-pastor said, that I think it might even be in that article I sent you guys. Oh, we get a lot of positive strokes up here in the commune. Our kids are so well adjusted. It's like, um, you know, I'm not, I don't have brain damage yet. I'm not, I don't have dementia. And yet I can't remember one positive thing any of them ever said to me. They talked about love yep, and they talked about how well adjusted the kids were, but they, they didn't know how to do love. And they didn't know how to make well-adjusted kids. Most people, when you leave home, when you wander out into the world after flying the nest and roughly 18, 17, 18 years old, your bucket is full of shit. Your bucket's full of this great (laughs) stuff to pull out of and to use because your parents have done a a good job of giving you these things to make you not just survive, but thrive in life. When I left the commune, my bucket didn't have a bottom. (laughs) There was nothing in there. I was starting at negative numbers. (laughs) You guys, when I went to a restaurant, I could not figure out what I wanted to order because I didn't feel confident ordering something because Lou would order because Lou liked lox and bagels. I like gagged on lox and bagels for four years. (laughs) And then after I left the cult, I'm like, I'll have a lox and bagels. And it came to my table and I wanted to throw up. Like, why did I order this? Why can't I, why can't I figure out what I want to eat? Because I don't know what I like to eat. Because even eating was dictated. Here's what you eat. Here's when you eat. If you don't eat this, then you don't eat it all. Oh my God. Yep. Yep. Every single, we've talked about that Jemima, like, like going into a restaurant being like, I don't even know what I like on my burger. I still don't. (laughs) Honestly, I I still don't. I'm still trying to figure that kind of shit out. I know that I'm not like an American food, like chicken strips and fries person. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything, like our food was, you had no choice in that. You were 
our food was always like it was the the leaders, which in our cult, they called them shepherds. They were the one that made the choices. They would put somebody in charge of the kitchen and they would have one shopper and they would decide the menu. They'd make the menu for the week. Yeah, you had no input in it. In yeah. most of the times, like when we were in the when we were in the the schools, which is like the the cult's version of the, of the TTI movement, we were even served. You weren't even allowed to take the amount of food no, no. that that you wanted. It was served to you, and you ate what was on your plate and nothing more. Yeah, and no. only the boys were allowed to get seconds. Yes, yes. Remember if, that? If if, if yep. there if there was enough, if, if there was yes. enough, yeah. and if there was extra after the boys got seconds, then if the girls wanted some, they could go and have a tiny bit more. Mm-hmm. But usually, mm-hmm. that didn't happen. Most of the time, yeah, it never happened. And then they had control over your weight. That was a big thing too. If you were too skinny, they would force you to eat extra things. And yep. then if you were overweight, which I was always one of those people that was overweight, that was a huge deal. They were always putting us in programs. Our weight would be posted in the on the home thing. Yep. And our, and our food was yeah, and our food was that was served to us like we would get half portions of everything and we would have to have extra <laughs> running around the yeah but like when i think back now like what my weight was then so i'm five six and my weight back then was like 150 160 i would have given dude if i was that right now i'm curvy i have big boobs i have a big butt and that was like you're fat you're the weight thing was unreal in the in our cult it was unfucking real yeah it was unreal i still struggle but yeah when you have that stuff just like drilled into you like that's Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. That was so it wasn't quite that bad in the cult I was in, but Lou had a fascination with people's bodies, the shape of their bodies. If you were pear-shaped, obviously this guy was a big fat tub too. He had this oh big gush. This like <laughs> gooseneck thing that like wobbled. We called him gooseneck because when he got angry, it would like wobble under his neck. <laughs> He was a big fat man who liked to eat. And I remember the people that he called fat in the commune. I'm like, looking back at him, I was looking at photos of him, like, they weren't fat. You were the big fucking lard, dude. And I always felt because I'm curvy. I have a bigger butt. Even when I was thinner, I was yeah. like a hundred and I was like 130 when I was like in the cult. Like my I think I went between 127 and 130 because I wanted to get down to 125. So that's why I remember this, thinking that you know, then I would be skinny, then I would be thin, then I could fit into somebody else's clothes. But you know what? There was never any body positive, yeah, like stuff in there. It was always, why are you wearing that? Because I like it. Well, that's interesting. It wasn't yeah. outright. You shouldn't wear that. Or why do you like those shoes? Well, because everybody in school is wearing them. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That kind of disparaging, yeah. passive aggressive disparagement. And you're like, oh, God. Yeah. Because if you were not in favor with Lou, life was a fucking hell. Oh, my gosh. It was yeah. horrible. So people yeah. were constantly trying to do that. And even it could be as simple as not wearing the right shoes. Yep. Or not wearing the right jacket or not having your hair a certain way. Yeah. Or, You're always yeah. trying to curve favor, curve favor. And that's the thing that's interesting. I think some people don't understand in growing up in a cult because, yes, you get parents out there who, like, for example, are obsessed with weight and will be <laughs> like, you don't look good. You need to lose weight. You're like, blah, blah, blah. But you have 
you you will have uncles or or grandparents or cousins or friends or other parents like you there's this society out there where you can actually get different opinions so even if yes you might have hang-ups because your mom was like this crazy weight person you see outward other people that are like oh wait they're the same size as me and they're like they think they're beautiful and their mother tells mm-hmm. them they're beautiful so therefore mm-hmm. like you can actually grow some opposing opinions right but when you're but but when that opinion is the entire <laughs> group of people that you're allowed to interact with there's no other option of mm-hmm. understanding yourself in any other way but the mm-hmm. way that everyone is telling you and, exactly. and I think that's a really big difference in growing up in a cult as opposed to having abusive parents mm-hmm. there's no other there's no differing outside opinion or right. you know influence Thank you. Information, informational yeah. purposes. Yeah. I had a friend who was, she was heavier and I, I thought we're about the same size. I'm like, how, why does she look good in her clothes? Why does she get to wear what she wants? Why do people think she's beautiful? And I'm like feeling bad about myself putting on frumpy, like I was wearing like combat boots, not combat <laughs> boots, but like hiking boots and Levi jeans and white t-shirts and a big sweatshirt to cover myself. Yeah. It's like, I'm. why can't I have that? It's like you you can see these differences and you can see that, wow, that person is confident while they're sassy. They can speak (laughs) up. Why can't I have that? And it's not because I'm lacking it. It's because I was, I lacked the infusion and the injection of that healthiness into my life. And I was robbed of that, the ability to, to advocate for myself and see myself as anything, but this big yep. pile of shit that they told me I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and, any, and anything you did good was God, right? Anything you did good was the Lord. Oh, no, it was Lou. It was Lou. <laughs> oh, it was Lou. Yeah. <laughs> so anything that good that happened in our lives, he took, he was, that was him. That was his influence. Oh, look at her. She plays piano. That's because I took her under my wing and I yep. made her what she is today. But if you failed, that was, that you. was you. Because <laughs> you. Also because you did not allow him to make your life better or to give yeah. you those great things that he could give you. Yeah. is such a fucking narcissist. God, I yeah. hate that man. <laughs> is he still alive? No, he died. Okay. Thank God. 2009, 2008 or 2009. And for years and years, I thought, God, I can't wait till that man dies. Cause I'm going to go piss on his grave. <laughs> and then they created him. No. <laughs> So like, damn it. And what I find really strange is all of these people that followed him, there were about 63 to 65 of us at any one time, including children, all of these adults who climbed up his ass, who lived for him, who like abused us and neglected is probably a better word, neglected their kids for this man. Yeah. When we needed them to be there for us, suddenly flipped and he was on his own. Like he was forced to retire by the, by by his co-pastor. He had no money or anything for retirement. He lived in a nursing home the last part of his life because he had Alzheimer's. Not one person see him. And there were maybe two people at his funeral. I'm like, how is it that back then when I knew you, it pisses me off. It's like, he was wonderful. Now don't want to have anything to do with him. Yeah. What's that about? Why don't you explain that to me? (laughs) Wow. That's really Interesting. So you, yeah. so the, the cult you grew up in that, like it's disbanded. It's just, it's gone. yeah, it's yeah. gone. So uh, another thing I wanted to tell you is when we moved to Bashan, we lived in big green army tents. 
Yeah, I saw the picture. Holy cow. There are no homes for rent on the island. So, hey, guess what? We're going to live in tents. And while we're living in tents, we're going to build our houses. So then suddenly we kids became their forced labor. We were labor trafficked to work on that property, to build their homes. We had no free time at all. Every Saturday we worked there, every night after school, our entire Mm -hmm. summer holidays, our Christmas holidays, all of our, like our summer holidays off of school, we were building and working on that property. And we were not just hanging out and having fun. We were digging ditches. We were clearing lots. We were hauling building supplies. We were cutting trees. We were living in tents with wood stoves for heat, no running water, no electricity. But we were expected to be grateful for that because it was a good experience for us. And so nobody really owned their homes. I think they were under trust under the church. And eventually all the homes were built. And by the time my mom escaped the commune, she'd been living in a tent for eight years. Oh my gosh. It was campy. Like, so dishes and camp style, bathrooms were camp style, showers were camp style. So we had one shower house. Okay. And there was a kind of a contraption set up in there for hot water. But the thing with, with the commune is privacy was not anything that we were allowed to have. So obviously I could shower by myself. If I was showering and some grown man wanted to come in and shower with me, if I said anything about it, I was the one with the problem. Yeah. I couldn't have any privacy. And I actually lived on the boat with Lou and his wife the last year that I was there in my senior year of high school. And he came in one time to wake me up and I was in pajamas and he went nuts because I was in pajamas and wasn't sleeping naked so that he could touch my body when he came in to wake me up. I had to have a group and I was um, accused of having sexual hangups. Mind you, I'm living on an aluminum boat sunk in the water, trying to stay warm, even in the summertime, because it's cold. You know, that the yeah. Puget Sound is cold. Yeah. So I just was wearing pajamas to stay warm. I didn't even kind of sexual hangups, except I didn't want him to touch me. (laughs) (laughs) But in his mind, because I was rejecting him, that meant that I had a problem, which is pretty much the way of a narcissist anyway. So we had wood stoves in our tents. They were big. They were big green army tents, like the ones from MASH. They were like the double wides. (laughs) So we had kerosene lamps for light. We had no power. And we had the shower house that we could shower in. And we had two potty houses with, and each one of them had two porta potties. And again, if I was in there going to the bathroom and somebody wanted to walk in and pee and sit next to me, they just plop their ass down and go to the bathroom. So, so no. for eight years. Eight so years. I was only there for four years. I moved there in 77 and I escaped in 81. So for that time, huh. that, that was still, my life. Yeah. For oh, another wow. four years, my mother hung out with my little That's siblings. Cool. That's right. So did the did the adults work like in regular secular jobs and then give mm-hmm. their money to the church? Is that pretty mm-hmm. much how it worked? Okay. Yeah. So there was at least one family member that worked. And like my mom was a single mother. She had to have a job. There were two single women, single mothers in the commune. And both of them worked outside. So if there was a husband and wife, one of them worked outside and one of them worked on the commune property. And the way that money worked was Everybody gave $300 a month to the development fund, which was for building the houses. And on top of that, they tied 15 to 20% to the church. We didn't have a church at that time. So I don't yeah. know what the fuck that money went to. I think lose pocket. And then we paid, there was, it was $20 a week 
per person for food. So my mom had five of us. And even when I was not, I didn't live with my mother in the commune. Lou took me out of my mom's home before we left Illinois. My mother had to pay for five kids and herself. So that's 120 bucks a month for food into the food program. And she never even got to decide what to eat. It was all decided by Lou's partner, Sally, who was the the co-partner, the co-pastor. And with all of these people in the church and the commune, none of us got to choose what we wanted to eat. We Mm -hmm. couldn't even say, hey, why don't we have hamburgers instead of, you know, the slop that you're feeding us? Because then there, there would be hell to pay. So we're paying for food. Then we paid for incidentals and electricity because it was electricity to a maintenance building, not to our tents. So on top of the $300 a month, my mom was paying $120 in food. She was paying for incidentals like kerosene, electricity, which was probably about another 100 to 150 bucks a month. At the end of the month, I calculated her income at one point. She had about five bucks left in her pocket yeah, so to not. take care of five kids. And uh, so they sucked the money out of people. Yeah. And we have an accounting of the the homes too. So they were building homes for roughly 65 to $70,000 at that time in the seventies. And I think the last town might've been built like in 84 and they're claiming that there were 65 to 70,000. Now, like in the past few years, they finally got the deed to their homes. They had to fight for that. They're selling these homes for upwards of $700,000. <laughs> And they got to build those homes for 60000 because off of the I, year back, my siblings, yeah. and the rest of the kids worked our asses off and gave up our childhood so that they could save a few bucks on labor. And so, so, so who's getting that money now? The, 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 the church trust or? Nope. The individuals, they finally got the deeds to their homes. They had to um, condominium. They, they turned them into condominiums. They're individual homes. There's like 13 or 14 homes up there. But they got it. It's now a condominium and it's like some kind of a, there's about 60 acres, 70 acres of land. Mm. Each individual owns their like one to 10 acre lot. But then there's all this open space that they all own jointly too. Still. So, yeah. Okay. But there's only two people left who still own their homes. The rest of them have like split, got their money and left. Okay. But there, so but they, that, so there's like this whole like, area of homes that was literally built by a cult yep. that people now live in. That's yep. wild. <laughs> it is. It's so wild. weird. And you know what's really, what kind of stabbed me in the heart was I went back up there one time mm. to just go back up there and see everything. And there was this woman's realty sign at the end of the drive. And it was a girl that we had gone to high school with who was the real estate agent selling some of these homes. And I just felt like it was like a kick in the head. Wait a minute. You're profiting from these homes? That was your blood. You know what we suffered up there. She wasn't a friend, but she was she in school with us. Yeah, she was knowledgeable. Wow. Like, it, it's just, and so, yeah, these people are profiting from these homes. And then there was a very well-known Christian author who lived on the island. And he was an advocate for most of us kids when we started escaping the cult. Oh, Okay. And he took part in the trial, documenting what was taking place and, and wrote up a whole like thesis about what was happening in the cults. And so I gave him a call and I'm like, what do you think about this, that your brother bought one of these houses up here and that these people that we went to high school with are profiting by selling these homes as real estate agents? And he goes, eh, grass over a battlefield. I was wow. like, okay, okay. Wow. That's wow. horrible. Wow. So the trial, what was the charge of the trial? 
like I said, I escaped in 81. Yeah. Sometime in early 83, I was living with the, some really cool people on the island who took me in after I escaped, mended me a little bit. <laughs> I got a phone from this woman and she's like, what is going on up in the commune? Like, I don't know, man. I haven't been up there. Everybody yeah. is. Lou's accusing two boys of molesting every child in the commune. Oh my God. Like, what? This is horseshit. I'm like, it's bullshit. So I called my mother who was still up there and I'm like, mom, what the fuck is Lou doing now? What is he up to? And she says, you are not welcome up here anymore, young lady. We all know what was going on when you guys were up here. You're going to have to answer for it. I'm like, what the fuck? So what happened was they accused every person who left of molesting every child in the commune. Four people were charged. Two young boys and two men who, by the way, both of these men who were charged were emotionally and mentally impaired to begin with. They probably had oh, IQs no. around 75, 80, right? Oh, no. These were people are charged and there's going to be a trial. So between the time they were charged and the trial, there was like this war going back and forth in the newspapers between us and them, like them accusing us of lying and, and taking advantage of a situation and us accusing them of being <laughs> a cult and abusing kids and yeah, this big whole thing and I was a witness for the defense in the criminal trial. Okay. But as I'm talking to this attorney for one of the boys and telling him things about the commune, and it was the first time I ever told anybody about the special groups and the skin time and sleeping with men and not having privacy in the shower. He's whoa. He like put his hands up like this and he's fucking stop. He goes, wait a minute, we got a whole other thing here to deal with. He goes, first of all, we have to file a lawsuit right now. Because we need to get you some money for therapy and we need to get you some money for your education. (laughs) Okay. Oh, good. And all these boys. So I filed a lawsuit that was in conjunction with the criminal trial, but they were two totally separate things. Okay. And then it was made a class action lawsuit because they realized there were so many kids who had left who needed to be a part of this to get some. And he was more concerned about therapy. Yeah. So until that point, I had no therapy. So from 81 to 83, I didn't even, I didn't even want therapy because yeah. the whole premise of the commune was psychological bullshit, psychological therapies and talking about your feelings and, yeah. and all this stuff that I didn't want a part of. So I started therapy in 1983. And from there, and had it not been for the trial, yeah. had it not been for the fact that I knew that none of those people accused had molested kids. Yeah. But in fact, Lou was the one that was molesting children and yeah. his cohorts. I would not be sitting here and talking about it today because that was a catalyst for me of, oh my God, this is insane. Yeah. I need to talk about this and I need to talk about it till people, till their ears are bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I started writing books. I talked to some people. I talked to some therapists. And to be honest with you, therapy didn't really do much for me because not many people know how to deal with that kind of trauma. Yeah. Yep. You know, yep. yeah. They want to talk about my mother and my childhood. Yep. And I'm like, I don't even talk about that. Yeah. We, until here. <laughs> we, we, uh, our whole community is such a struggle. I am just beyond, I, I don't like the word, but blessed <laughs> because I actually have a therapist who, was in a cult and escaped. So like, that's the only reason why I think it's been so beneficial for me, but it's, yeah. If I went through six or seven therapists before I 
came across her because, you know, they either see you as like a study, like I'm going to write a paper on you, like you're a study case, or you can actually run circles around them. Because Mm -hmm. when you've been psychologically played with your whole life, you actually get pretty smart around Mm -hmm. psychological games. So you really have to have someone that can contend with that to be able to have therapy that works. Our whole community struggles with that so much. It's it's such a difficult thing to to find. Mm Mm-hmm. Such a difficult thing to find. What do you do now? Your Instagram is Let's Talk Cults, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you, what do you do now necessarily that's like sort of in advocacy against? Do you do anything like in that sense? I don't really. Yeah. I've, I've come to a place of like peace in my life finally, nice. just after yeah. the last year of being able to connect with a community of people and just talk with them and advocate for them. I mean, I speak up. Sometimes I think some of the stuff that I post is probably pretty provocative. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. It's intentional. It's meant yeah. to be. It's meant to shake people out of their, you know, their comfort zones and make them think a little bit. Because I know I get a lot of people, especially fundamentalists who read my stuff and they DM me. It's not that I'm like part of a group or anything or I advocate. And I haven't written books. I've written one book that I'm editing. Yeah. And I don't even know if I need to publish because there's so many stories out there. The market is saturated, but I do need people. I I needed to be heard and I had never been heard. And I needed to be validated, which for me, I never got that in therapy. Yeah. Nobody ever said, oh my God, you deserve better. Or this was horrible that it happened to you. Here's how we're going to help you navigate life. I don't, there people, I just don't think therapists are equipped to do that. So it's not like I'm, I, I take part in conversations. Like I've done some podcasts. Yeah. So you just I, like open. Like, yeah. So you're like yeah. open about it. And yeah, yeah. this is what I like to do. I like to, yeah. to get down and nitty gritty with people who have been, <laughs> yeah. you know, talk about it. Like, I don't really want to talk to people and tell my story to people who have not experienced being a kid in a cult yeah i just don't have the patience for that kind of a relationship or, or helping them to understand so, yeah I, that's not my gig yeah you know and i because I, I find even now even on, on instagram and, and some of these kind of these advocacy groups that have some momentum i find them super culty and i find the people involved super narcissistic and in it for reasons that it's that's not i don't want to swim in that shit yeah, when we were talking with Dr. Uh, Yanya Lalit, she made such a powerful uh, point, which is you can't get into advocacy until you've done your own personal healing and and mm-hmm. and a fair amount of that. And I think that's a very important point and very true. Yeah. And so yeah, so just the openness and the and the talking about it with other survivors like that mm-hmm. is a really big part of of healing, I think. And we're just saying like <laughs> living after a cult. What does that mean mm-hmm. to a cult kid? How have you found relationships in your life? You know. I mean, as a teen going through what you did and that sort of like just bizarre world of abuse and all of that. Extremely difficult. Mm. Ex- isolating. Yeah. Isolating. So I had a very difficult time trusting anybody's motivations for years and years and years. But I was lonely and I wanted companionship. I wanted yeah. that. So I would constantly forgo my own like I would ignore red flags. I would ignore the yeah. the obvious stay away from this just for companionship. And it yeah. was always disastrous. It was just devastating. I would yeah. wreck myself over 
horrible men who didn't deserve me in their lives. But I didn't even know what to bring to our relationship. I was not taught what a healthy relationship is. How do you care for somebody and yourself at the same time? I've never learned that. And also like friendships too. I would test things. Like I was telling somebody else, when I first left the commune, I would test things out and be like, okay, is that normal? And I remember I was at a friend's house one night and I knocked on the door. I'm like, can I sleep with you guys? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, so that's not normal. But that, <laughs> my little toolbox is like, no, that's not normal. Yeah. And then I would just test these little things out here and there. I would call people, hey, can you do this for me? And they'd be like, no, not really. I'm like, okay, so you can't ask people to do these things for you. That's not normal. So I had these like, boundaries that I had to create for myself because I was never taught them because boundaries are non-existent in cults. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a long time to navigate that. Yeah. Long time. Yeah. What's that famous, that quote that always hit me really hard is that we, we accept the love we think we deserve. Yes. And I think that's one of the biggest issues in relationships is that we don't understand what we deserve. And that's a big, (laughs) that's a big learning curve with relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first I escaped like February 3rd, 1981. And within about a year, I, and I was isolated that whole time. I cut myself off from people. I worked and I drank a lot and I got stoned a lot and just to fall asleep at night. And I met this guy, an Arab guy through some friends who I just, he was so adorable and he was so sweet and he was so affectionate, not like love bomby, but he was just so open. I'm like, oh, this just feels good. He couldn't speak English, but I didn't care. And I ended up, I had a couple of kids with him and we never really, we didn't ever really legally marry and create a life. But so I have a couple of kids. And then from that point on until I met my grandma in like 2014. And I feel like it's probably the healthiest relationship I've ever had, even though it's had some ups and downs. But I think it's because I've come to a place in my life where I know my own value what I'm worth. I've created boundaries. I don't need to be with a man to feel validated or full. I'm already there. Yeah. That's just like the, like the cherry on top of the Sunday for me. Exactly. You know what? I can do without cherries too. Ice cream. I need the whipped cream, the chocolate. Tell me that cherry on top. It's nice, but so when you get to that point, I, for me, when I'm getting to that point now, because I love myself and care about myself and know who I am. I can bring something to a relationship that can be reciprocated. So yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'll be 60 next week. So that's a long ass time you know, <laughs> to figure that shit out. Yeah. I, I want people to get there sooner than I did. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, for sure. Yes. For that's, sure. that's another one of the reasons why we do this podcast too. It's mm-hmm. don't wait until you're 50 to start mm-hmm. healing yourself. Yeah. Right. Do, it, do it earlier. You can do it earlier. It can happen earlier. It's just a matter right. of when you start on that journey. Yeah. yeah. Anything we can do to help somebody else that's because there's mm-hmm. going to be people walking the path that we walk. There's just no way around mm-hmm. that. Right. And right. I figure anything we can do to help them and make it a little bit easier, at least afterwards, maybe we can't help them on the path, mm-hmm. but hopefully they can find this afterwards and listen to it and it can bring some kind of healing and stuff because I think right. it's very relatable even for women that have been in abusive relationships because mm-hmm. it's like a cult when you have a husband that's 
very demanding and abusive and controlling, you're basically in his cult. Yeah. You have to do exactly what he says and how he says it and when he says it. I've met girls who are like, I can't. I don't talk unless he says I can talk. It's yep. Fuck. And I work in a restaurant, so I see it a lot. Oh, oh God. I, I'm all order for you. Don't You don't need to order yep. your food. And then I'm She'll have there, this and this, yeah. Yes, yes. And I'm looking at the girl like, what the, why? I just hope she gets up and goes to the bathroom so I can be like, girl, you don't have to do this. I just hope that hot coffee spills on his lap. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oops. No. Yeah. It's hard to watch people be in the same situation, or not yes. the same situation, but the same type of situation yeah. right. that we were in and then see how stuck they were because then you're just like, oh my God, I was like that too. I remember yeah. being in the cult and just thinking there is nothing else. There's mm-hmm. no yeah. other way. There's no other path because that's what I'd been told all my life. Yeah. Or being told if you leave here, you're going to die. Yes. If you leave here, you're going to become a drug addict. If you leave here, you're going to become this. You're going to be less than that. And it's, but all these other people out here seem to be thriving. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when I made the decision to jump, I jumped. And and, yeah. Yeah. It was terrifying. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Cause I had nothing. They make sure you have nothing and you feel like nothing so that you don't leave. Exactly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's how I am too. It's, I don't feel like I have enough training or I certainly can't be a professional and help people, but I can speak up and I can say, you know what? I totally, I know what you're going through. I know what that feels like. Here's a bunch of other people who know how that feels and what you're going through. Sometimes sometimes it's better. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's more helpful. I think I've personally have learned more from what other people have told me than Mm -hmm. I have from any therapist that I've ever been to. Yeah. Amen to that. Mostly because it's like, it's like a flight instructor. Do you want to fly with somebody that's been in a plane for 10 years? Or do you want to fly with somebody who's been in a simulator? (laughs) They only know the simulation of, they don't know the actual scene and how it actually feels. But once you've been there and you've done it, and then you've come back to yourself full circle I personally feel like things like this can be much more helpful sometimes than yeah. sitting and talking mm-hmm. to a therapist who just doesn't even get it. Right? Yeah. Or they look at you like, like you said earlier, Oh, I could do a paper on you. My therapist <laughs> actually told me I learned something from you every time I see you. <laughs> you say that same thing. And then I'm like, but, but you're, but, but I'm, uh, okay, you're like, I can't, I can't say the same thing about you. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, but I'm paying you and you're learning from me. Like, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Something's wrong. I know. That's what I said to him. I'm like, so then you should be paying me. Exactly. <laughs> then, yeah. If we're yeah. teaching you, then obviously we've been through, maybe we don't have a fucking piece of paper, but yeah. we've been through that shit. It's we've actually yeah. walked through it. We've smelled yeah. it. We've had it on <laughs> us. We know exactly how it feels. And personally, yeah. I feel like that's more relatable and more healing than somebody sitting there and telling you this is what you should do. That has right. actually never even been in that situation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They only I mean, know I theoretic. We know physically, psychologically everything our whole entire body knows and understands and like i know there's some great therapists out there there's a few that i follow and i'm like god i wish i had you yeah yeah when i yeah. nate possible is that his name yeah yeah for him we're actually <laughs> trying to get him on the podcast he's so busy i know 
And he's in such demand. And the pro- I just, I'm like, oh God, please don't burn him out. Don't burn him out because we need him. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I know there's good therapists out there yeah. and there are therapists who think they're good. Yeah. And that's a little bit culty too. Not about you, but mm-hmm. how you can help. And yes. that's kind of my perspective. It's like, this isn't about me. I don't need to become famous. I don't need mm-hmm. to have a shit ton of followers or the high numbers or make this about me. It's as long as what I'm saying resonates with one person yep. and they're like, yes, I get that. I'm like, okay, that's all I need. Yeah, That's yes. all I need is just to empower or help somebody empower themselves yes. by saying, I've been there. Mm. Here's what I have to say about this. If you don't like it, fine. If right. it works for you, awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why like my partner, he keeps telling me, you've got to finish your book. You've got to finish that book. You need to tell, because there's, of course we talk and we talk about some of the things that are going on, but like the daily nitty gritty of living in a cult life that yeah. could potentially be boring is so therapeutic when you hear somebody else like what they've gone through. The Sound of Gravel. Have you read that book? No. no. Oh my gosh. That I think it's by a woman who was in the FLDS. Okay. And the way that she writes and how she speaks about her mother and the daily life, the daily grind of being in that that cultic environment. It was so, it's hard to read. It's heart-wrenching, but it's, oh my God, she gets it. Hmm been there we've been there together and the the intricacies of that relationship with a mother who is devoted and and in deep and has got their head up the leader's ass and needing them to mother you and it's just a it's a good book of course there's so many great memoirs out there yes yes but i think there's a big difference um between uh and and this is actually in podcasts too but there's a big difference between the getting the word out there the news out there for people that don't understand it and then writing for people that have been there and that's that's the big difference and like i think that's the podcast that we feel that we do is we're talking to people who have been there and are like now trying to figure it out (laughs) and like life after type of a thing and yeah so i think you can get books and memoirs that are like trying to explain to the general public what life in the cult was like and those are great but then there's also the ones that like been there done that Mm -hmm. and yeah talking to other people who have also been there and done that yeah and like making people aware of there's a lot of uh, adult celebrities who have come out of cults and mm-hmm. you know they, they get these platforms and they're heard and they they speak and now they're they're warriors mm-hmm. against the cult that they were in and for me i think that a great service to the public would be bringing it back down a little bit and saying here's what i was doing when i was there yeah here's how i manipulated people here's how i was being abusive. Here's what happened to the children. And I completely ignored it. I, I want to see more of that kind of real nitty gritty yeah. talk. Because for me, sensationalizing, it's like a 15 minute fame. Wow, look at that. She was in that call and this happened. And then people don't even pay attention to the humanity and the yeah. reality of what's happening right now in these situations. And there's yeah. cults all over our country right now where children are being abused. Yeah, people are being sucked in left and right. Yep. Like we need to educate the public and help them understand the signs and how this happens and what happens in there. It's not just, oh, now I've got a great book deal. Now I'm a millionaire because I was in a cult. I lost big chunks of my life. Yeah. Because of 
adults like this trying to, to find a higher plane or, or better themselves or, yeah. and that, that may seem like, you know, a Hollywood story, but the reality is children are suffering and yeah. we're, we're, we're not, we're, we may be surviving and some of us may just survive our whole lives. We're in, in reality, we deserve to thrive. Oh, yeah. We need to thrive. Yeah. And you know, that's just my two cents. I just get a little, I get a little um, taken aback with, the sensationalizing. That's why I initially asked you, how did you feel about the documentary? Because yeah. as a child, I watched them. They're just, they're using these people. Yep. Yeah. To get raised. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. when they would cut from you to this person saying this, they would speak like there was one guy that he would talk about things. I'm like, okay, so now what did you do about it? Did you contact authorities? Have you taken this and sat yeah. down with the FBI and said, here's what's happening. Listen to these people's stories. Or are you just there for the ratings and they're done? Yeah. And in my mind, that's what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you don't get paid either. No, yeah. right. no, they're you don't just, get paid to tell your story. They're using your story. Yeah. And good for you for speaking out though, because I think you're going to connect with a lot of people, but at the same time, the, the, the documentarians or whoever's doing this, they have shit tons of money that they can yeah. dig into and advocating for. Yes. Yeah. My question is now, what are they going to do with that? Is it sitting in a can somewhere in a shelf or is it being taken to the FBI? Is it you being used as educational purposes? Are you helping other children yeah. get out of these situations yeah. that they need you to be helping them get out yeah. of? Yeah. It's not yeah. just that we we're hoping and wishing somebody would come to help us. We are actually, we in our very being and core need somebody to save us from those situations children yeah. need people to save them from those situations and yeah. how else do you do that besides getting the law involved yeah. in yeah, those in power? yeah anyway probably more than you wanted to hear but very true yeah yeah i feel so much we're on the same wavelengths yeah so much and it, yeah. it, it feels powerful when we get together and we're like, okay, we can actually, I want to go to some of these cult study things and start mm -hmm. making a bit of a splash. Mm -hmm. They can theorize what it's like, but we can tell yeah. them what it's actually like. Yeah. We need more actual ex-cult mm -hmm. members than just mm -hmm. all of these academics for sure. Yeah. To start. I think we, need the, yeah. we need the voices of the children who have been there. I really appreciate that, that, that I got out.org on their Instagram account, elevating those voices of the ex-moonies. And I think they've done a couple so far, but way to go that you're elevating those voices and that you're giving these people a platform to be heard. Yeah. yeah. Finally. And it's a second gen people. Yeah. And I guess, I'm, I guess I'm second gen. I, I never knew yeah. what that term was, but I'm like people like you to, to be heard and to hear those stories and those voices, because we are often ignored when celebrity voices are being elevated yes adults that were that chose to join these and like i said i have people might not like my opinion but i have a hard time feeling like we're the same type of victim yep no we're not on the same plane mm -hmm. and that might be hurtful for people to hear but I've also not heard the accountability from some of those voices. Exactly. What they took part in. Because I guarantee you there's people like us looking at them saying, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> what you did and what you allowed to happen to me. 
Yeah. No, and I don't see you taking accountability. So I challenge those people to take accountability. We hear your voices and I'm not going to say you're not valid. I'm not going to invalidate anybody, but I want to see a little more of that. Yeah. I was in this, this place for 12 years in, in management or leadership, whatever. And, and I took part in this and there's a hierarchy in cults Mm. and the higher you are, the less removed you are from that severe, horrible damage that kids especially are in and maybe some adults. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Very true. I was Mm -hmm. actually a national area shepherd in Thailand for the teenagers. I wasn't, I I was, I was a national area shepherd, but all I did was go around and talk to all the teenagers Mm -hmm. and all the, all the homes in Thailand. That was my sole job for a while. Mm -hmm. And yes, you're right. We were much more removed from even Mm -hmm. the daily, oh, you have to work and you have to do this and that wouldn't, we didn't do that. We went and sat in meetings and did secretary mm-hmm. stuff and had our food brought mm-hmm. to us and you a little bit more like the oh this is the respect I wanted all along type of thing mm-hmm. yeah but then everybody else is just sitting there day to day going through mm-hmm. massive yeah. like psychological yeah. shit in their brains yeah and, and at the same time nobody really knows what anybody else is suffering especially yeah. as kids because we're used as pawns like i was told if you spy on this person that would be really great oh really if i come back and give you information maybe you'll get off my back for a bit so a lot hmm. of the guys in the cult who were horribly abused thought that i was a loose pet because i lived on the boat and i was like hold the phone <laughs> i'm gonna tell you what yeah. the shit i was and they had no idea that I was being used and tossed around and passed around from man to man to sleep with them while their husband or where their wives were off sleeping with somebody else and used in these grotesque therapies. So even though there is, there, there appears to be sometimes these hierarchies, especially children and especially kids, because we're pawns, we don't know what anybody else is suffering. And sometimes it's worse than not worse, but there's different degrees of um, that we all had to endure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough. It's tough to navigate that. It's really it tough. You know, it's tough to, yeah. Life, anyway. life after cults. What yeah. do you do? How do you Here do we it? Yeah. We are, but now we're talking. Yeah. We were actually yeah. just talking about making a group where we could get together every week and talk about stuff like what, you know, what's next? What do you mm-hmm. do next when you leave a cult? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, how do you proceed with life? Because, I think a lot of people, even still, I personally struggle with it. And like I was listening to a Dr. Gabor Mate thing yesterday. He's my favorite. And he said, (laughs) you can only teach what you've learned. You can only bring people to the point that you're at. You cannot take them further than where you are. But considering the fact that we're all fairly far along in our healing journeys. And we've come to a lot of these realizations, come to terms Mm -hmm. with ourselves, learning to love ourselves. Now Mm -hmm. we can actually start bringing other people along with us and starting to help them to heal too Mm -hmm. with the knowledge that we've gained over all these years. And just think what, hang in there. Yeah. (laughs) Stick around and keep working because you deserve better and you deserve more. And even if we're just here to say that to people, just got to freaking know how you're feeling. Like sometimes I see people's posts and I'll DM them. I'm like, okay, I know exactly where you are, man. I'm telling you, I have been there. So many of us have have been there. Breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in, you know, 
going to make it. So yeah, I totally get that. I'm so glad you guys are doing this. This podcast yeah. is awesome. <laughs> I, listen, I think I still have three more to listen to. I was listening to one the other day that I had to keep turning on and off and it might've been with Lisa. Mm-hmm. Talking about, man, that, that woman has endured and uh, told her story and she's freaking yeah. awesome. But all of you are <laughs> sharing and talking and all of us. Yes. <laughs> you too. <laughs> I'm proud of you. This is, I love this podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank when you. you sent me a message, I'm like, oh my God, really? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like somebody come, come look what I just got. <laughs> oh my God, that's so sweet. No, we're, we're honored to have you. You're amazing. And so you have a, just for our listeners, you have a website called letstalkcults.com. Correct? Yeah, there's not much on there yet. Yeah, um, just a little bit of your story, I think. Yeah, I need to put some more stuff out there and information. And to be honest with you, some of the stuff I've created because I want to antagonize and draw out of the dark. <laughs> some, of the, yeah. some of the adults that were in the commune and say, enough of the hiding, enough of the pretending. It's time for a reckoning and a healing. And a Absolutely. healing. So I kind of, I'm a little bit provocative, but oh, also I, on my Instagram account. Yeah, it, let's talk calls also. Yeah, I've followed your Instagram. I think it's great. The stuff you yeah. put on there. Yeah, so happy to have you. You are amazing. (laughs) And these are such great conversations. Mm -hmm. So needed. Yeah, Yeah, I'm looking forward to, I think, did you guys just post a list of people you're having on or something? Did you? I don't don't think maybe just who was your most current guest? Lisa was. And then before that was, I think, uh, Dr. Yanya Lalich. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I listened to Yanya Lalich and Lisa. I think I saw something else because I'm just getting caught up. Because I have 30 podcasts that I listen to just because I need that. I need that. Yeah. It's like an infusion, advocacy and and <laughs> voices that I need in my head. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we, and we want to start networking with some of those podcasts too. Oh, good. Like having good. them on. Yeah. Super. That's going to be super fun. Oh, yay. Okay. Thank <laughs> you so much, you guys. This is great. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Great. Well, I hope we can have more conversations too, because. I feel like there's just, we've like scratched the surface and there's yeah. so much more meat that we can dig into. As we always say, stay brave and remember that every butterfly was once a caterpillar. <laughs>